So every once in a while, I mean, maybe it's more often than every once in a while, but very often. <laughs> okay, let me rephrase. Every so very often, I have a guest who we start to talk about what they came on the podcast to talk about, and then we like hit a button and we're off running on an entirely different topic. That was today's episode with Jess Ekstrom. She's the founder and CEO of Headbands of Hope, which is a company that donates headbands to kids with illnesses with every headband sold. So she has this entrepreneurial spirit and we talk about her story and then we hit a hot button that gets us going off on another topic and it, it ended up being a really awesome awesome discussion and i think it's a beneficial discussion for anyone who is feeling a little bit like they're owed something and feeling that like no one will help them and it's kind of our take coming from the other side not necessarily of like sitting on the successful side of things, but sitting on both sides because we've both been there. You know, we've been on the side that's like, hey, can anyone help me? And we're on the side now where people are like, can I pick your brain? And we get off on, on a tangent of, of why that is is causing us both some stress and grief <laughs> in certain ways. But it's not that we're saying it like, oh my God, this is uh, like, poor us. It's not that. It's like, how can we work together? And I mean, we as a community, as humans needing to grow, as humans needing things is, and how can we do that for the betterment of everyone involved? Because if you scratch my back, I will scratch your back. And that's how the world, that's how the world works. And I think somewhere along the way, um, there's been a feeling that it doesn't work that way anymore. And so I love Jess's generosity. I love um, her honesty. She's the best-selling author of a book called Chasing the Bright Side. And she has she's a creator of online courses and communities for women that help women get paid keynotes and paid book deals. So if you're in a space where you're interested in getting a book deal or, or becoming a speaker or growing your, your platform. Like she's definitely someone to follow and you can follow her on Instagram at Jess under, underscore Ekstrom. And so this was a great episode. I really enjoyed our riffing, <laughs> enjoyed our conversation. And it's not that I don't enjoy every conversation, but there's some that are more conversational than, than interview. And I think this was one of them, but awesome time with Jess. Take a look at her social, give her a follow. And I'm going to be purchasing some headbands because you know, you guys know you don't see me without a headband very often. So I'm very excited in her business from a fundamental level. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode with Jess Ekstrom. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm very excited. Jess Ekstrom is here. Hi, Jess. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a, um, we were talking before we got started. It's a spring day here in Massachusetts at 36 degrees. <laughs> That's what the people here are telling me. Get outside. 36 like, degrees in North Carolina is like schools shut down, right. get all the milk and bread, you know, go into hibernation. Right. Right. I mean, that was part, it was me in Atlanta when we had ice apocalypse, like in 2014 and 2015. I mean, I was part of that. And now it's just, you know, All relative. 12 yeah. inches here and people are outside walking their dogs and, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> well, welcome. I'm so glad to talk to you. Um, I rarely go without a headband in life. And nice. so you are near and dear to my heart. I'm going to need to pick up some of yours, but let's start with headbands of hope and how you came up with this idea where, like where you came from, just like your, your story that led you to start this company. Sure. So I, I would say like my story began when I was in college, I was interning. Um, well, really the first internship I had was at, in Disney world, which was super fun. Um, but I was there as a photo pass photographer. And so I was taking pictures of kids on their wish. Um, oh, that was like part of the thing that I got to do was take pictures of the kids on their with wish through the make wish foundation. And when I got back to school, I just like fell in love with this foundation and I interned for Make-A-Wish. And um, when I was at Make-A-Wish, that was when I discovered a lot of kids really love to wear headbands after losing their hair to chemotherapy and um, realized after some Google searches that no one had really made that connection yet. A lot of times they were offered wigs or given hats when they would lose their hair. And so I call it like the, the dumbest, smartest moment of my life where I was like, oh, if no one's doing this, like, let me just knock this out real quick. I can start a company that gives headbands to kids with illnesses. And so uh, when I was a junior in college, I started Headbands of Hope. For every headband sold, we donate one to a child with an illness. Um, my first order was from my mom. My <laughs> second order, which is still my number one customer, but uh, my second order was from my grandpa. And it took like... Um, four or five months until I started seeing orders come in on the website from people that like, I didn't know. And so right. it was not, you know, fire right out of the gate. Um, I messed up a lot, which I'm happy to get into, but then, um, now, uh, we are approaching our nine year anniversary and we've donated wow. almost, um, very, very close to donating 1 million headbands to, kids with illnesses. And so, that's amazing. um, that's, that's the story of headbands of hope. And then headbands of hope was kind of like the root of this tree that led to some other things. I realized like, you know, one of the things I wish that I knew starting this company was that no one knew what they were doing. And, um, <laughs> I just thought that I was the one that was unqualified and kind of messing up all the time and, and almost putting on this facade of like, you know, being a businesswoman. And then as you get older, you realize like that never really goes away, no matter how experienced you get. Right. And so um, I kind of realized that I could use my story of starting Headbands of Hope to help other women kind of craft their own story um, through what I've learned. So that led to a um, speaking and writing career. Um, my book, Chasing the Bright Side, came out with HarperCollins, um, November 2019. And then... Um, 
yeah. So some, some things have stemmed from that, but that's kind of, that's kind of the yeah. version. <laughs> well, you bring up an interesting topic, the topic of failure. And I love to talk about this because so many clients I coach, you know, they're like, I have a fear of failure or I have a fear of success, which I don't believe anyone has a fear of success. So my belief in that is you have a fear of the work it takes to get to the success. And then once you get there, can you hang on to it? But failure, I mean, that is such a great jumping off point because what is failure and what types of failures could you have not done your business without? I mean, at this point, I'm sure you look back on them and go, oh, wow, those were necessary. Yeah. I mean, the biggest failure that I had um, was getting started with this business idea. And I was actually working with a manufacturer to make the headbands. Um, I didn't have enough money to fund the first round of production. And so I was going to get a loan from the bank or get, um, get, uh, sell some equity, even though I'm like, I don't even think I could have done that. Cause I had zero sales yet, but, um, you're like, I couldn't I, have gone on shark like, tank. Yeah, I was like, I, I watched too many shark tank episodes. <laughs> I was like, oh, I sell a percentage of my business. Um, and my dad was actually, um, uh, gracious enough to be my first investor and fund this first round of production which then went to a fraudulent manufacturer that ran with all of the money. Yeah. Oh no. See, was I was so in bad. the retail business for like a blink. I made triathlon suits and, but I had a, a manufacturer in the U S and, yeah. but everyone was like, go overseas and do this. And you know, and so I this was, actually was happened in the U S oh yeah. my God. See, I would just decided if it was in the U S it wouldn't happen to me, but. Oh yeah. No, it happened, um, in the U S and, uh, oh so gosh. I, um, it was like one of the lowest points, um, for me just thinking I had let my, my dad down and all, you know, and I, I was like, let me just pretend this never happened and go apply for jobs and like, just try to pay him back. And I'm clearly not cut out to be an entrepreneur. Like I hadn't even started yet, you know, cause I didn't even right. have a product, but then, what did you know, you tell him, so wait, I gotta hear, gosh, I guess, like, I mean, so what kind of dad do you have? And like, like tell this part of the story. Cause I feel like this is so important. my dad's also an entrepreneur. So he is, um, very innovative and supportive of like, create your own life, you know, all this stuff. Um, and, but like our childhood, he was never like, oh, you want a pony? Like you get a pony. It was very, uh, um, I mean, my parents were great, but it wasn't like, and we grew up, I'm mean, very privileged. I'll, I'll be the first to say that. Um, but he was not this kind of like handing out, you know, trophies kind of dad. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, this is really my chance to, to, <laughs> you know, like I think every kid wants to, uh, make dad proud. Me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he was pissed, <laughs> but, uh, he also just kind of like knew, um, and we went to court and everything too. Like this was not just like, Oh shoot, the money's gone. This was a process okay. um, that we ended up spending more money in legal sure. fees, trying to get it back. And, but, um, through that process, I actually learned from him, the times were similar situations, not like fraudulent situations happened to him in his business that he started and what he did about it. And I was like, wait, this happened to you. And I didn't even know about it. Like you spent all this money on this and I didn't, and it didn't work out. Like, you mean that this isn't the only mistake that's ever been made, you know, before. Right. And so I think 
um, it actually gave me, uh, not at the time I couldn't see it, but it gave me an inside look to, um, how normal failures are when you're reaching because you're, you're going down uncharted territory that you've never been down before. But from that experience, you know, I ended up, um, getting, you know, this like $300 grant from my school, um, even though I lost way more than $300, um, and bought two headbands from the supplier, the two different types of headbands from the supplier, North Dakota that I found on Etsy and like, um, put them on my website and just grew from scratch and didn't take outside money again. Um, and I learned from that experience about deposits, about contracts, about expectations. And I feel like sometimes, um, when we make mistakes in the moment, it feels like it feels awful, but then I think that we make them in a small way first so that we don't make them in a big way later. Because today, if I had done something like that, it would have been six figures down the drain because we have a lot bigger purchase right. orders and things that we're doing right now. Um, I mean, it was no small sum, but I feel like you make mistakes um, at certain points in your life so that they don't, the stakes become higher and you don't make those same mistakes later. Right. And so that's, that's how I sleep at night. <laughs> well, and that's such a good way to look at it. Cause I yeah. think about, so I had a funny experience. I've, I've had several, but one in law school, I hit um, a four, I, I meant to hit forward of an email from a professor to send to my friend to make a joke. Instead, I hit reply and added her and my corporation's professor was on it. And the second oh, it went, yeah. this was like, you know, 2004, 2003, yeah. there was Google didn't have the like clawback of five seconds or whatever, like this was gone. And I knew I did it. And I was like, oh dear God. And the beautiful thing about law school is when you like tick off a professor, like they love it. <laughs> Because then the next day in class, so anyway, I show up to class on Monday. I apologize to him via email. Um, and I was like, this is gonna, I'm gonna get ripped apart in class. And mm -hmm. he was so interesting because all he did was before he called on everyone in class, he would make direct eye contact with me and then look away and call on someone else. And so he didn't oh call my on God. me the whole class or the rest of the year. My palms but, are sweating from just <laughs> listening to this. And I was not like one of those go-getter law students. It was like, I'm ready to, you know, be a part of the Socratic right. method. Like I was the one that was like, dear God, please don't call on me. Why did I choose this for my life? Um, did you pass like, the class? Did you? Oh yeah. Okay. And he was good spirited about it, but he, he took, you know, great measures to make sure I remembered that experience. And so what you're saying about you make those mistakes in law school, you make those mistakes in high school or whatever. So I didn't send something real stupid to someone else now. You like better be damn sure you're going to check the CC and everything before because I mean, you made that mistake. I forward yeah. nothing. I right. do not draft an email with anyone's name in the thing, you know, right. Done. Totally. Um, and I have so many experiences like that too. And, um, you know, one of the, I think the, the best things to realize is, is everything you say, Mm -hmm. in a business context or, you know, in life, like assume someone's reading it, assume totally. someone's gonna get it. it. In a world of screenshots, like everything, if, if you're not, if you would never want it to be like plastered on a billboard, then don't send it. I see right. so many, um, 
you know, like leaked like Slack messages from like CEOs. I'm like, it's on Slack. Like, what did you think was going to happen? Did you think this was like a private, you know, quail messenger dropping this off that it was going to dissolve? Right. Like, of course, you know? Yeah. And like, that's what I tell my kids too, because they're 12 and 13 and it's, mm-hmm. and I, and they've got iPhones and we've got them locked down and everything, but there's, I'm like everything you send, Mm-hmm. assume that it's screenshotted yeah. and all your, you know, it might be this- to, to one person, but assume it's to everyone. Oh gosh, yeah. And that terrifies sure. me, terrifies me, but yeah. it'll only take them once. I'm like, maybe yeah. I gotta learn it just like I did. Exactly. Um, but so- I mean, I think that you're, you're spot on. Like there are things that in the moment that it happens, we feel like it's the end of the world. But, um, I've been reading a lot of like Buddhist books lately. I've been like into Buddhism. And one of the things that they talked about was like, we have no idea what's good or bad in that moment because we don't know mm-hmm. how it plays out in our yes. story. And so you didn't know that sending that email, like, of course, in the moment it feels bad, but now it could have happened in a much bigger way. Right. Same with this um, manufacturer. And so we don't know what's good or bad. And, you know, for example, I, this story that happened, this is like now 10 years ago or something when this manufacturer happened, Um, my project that I'm working on right now is called bright pages and it's a guided online journal for like doers and creators and building. I've never built a tech company before. Um, and you could spend overnight, you know, half a million dollars on an app. Like it's, I mean, and that's like on the low end. And so if I had not had that experience 10 years ago, I would have probably in my head been building this bright pages app and be like, well, I guess I just need to like wire this money and they'll do their job. <laughs> and now I'm like, no, we are building a minimum viable product. We're building a very small thing. Then we will add a little bit more on top of that. And we're going to build this in layers so that I don't right. flush half a million dollars down the drain, you know? And it's because of that experience that I'm taking that, this approach, building this app, you know? And So I think like, we don't know what's good or bad or how things play out in our story. And so we can't beat ourselves up too much when we mess up because it's honestly just research in our entire process that helps us with decision-making going forward. Right, right. And I interviewed Sherry Salata, who is Oprah's executive producer for years and for like, I guess the whole span of the Oprah show. Um, But she, her book is called The Beautiful No. And she talks about the same thing. Like every time you get a no in your life, like don't expect the no to be bad, that Mm -hmm. the beautiful no, that thank God, at some point you did get a no here and there. It doesn't feel good in the moment, but man, what if it had been a yes? And what would, you know, where would you have ended up? And so I always look at things like that and it's, you know, no doesn't always mean never. And that's what I'm trying to tell my 13 year old boy who's got a crush on a girl. And I said, (laughs) if she says no now, it doesn't mean like no forever. I mean, I met your dad when I was 13 and I was like, I'd never date that guy and we're married now, (laughs) you know? Well, I mean, like, I, I think about that even I, there were some colleges that I didn't get into that I thought were like, the ones that I should go to and ended up going to NC state where I met my husband and it's like, and where I started my business and you just never know what, you know, how these decisions are going to play out and when you connect the dots in your rear view mirror. Um, so it's okay to feel things. Like, I don't think that every time you mess up or something doesn't go your way, you have to be like, well, like who knows? (laughs) I mean, it's okay to be pissed and kind of use it as energy, but, um, I try not to grip things too tightly anymore yeah. because I know there's just like endless different possibilities that could happen. There's not just one. I like that visual of just holding on to things loosely. Like mm-hmm. 
that way nothing's re- nothing's really yours anyway like if the yeah. pandemic's taught, taught us anything like what do we control oh just the food we eat apparently right exactly exactly right. I, I I think that just holding things with an open palm and not a clenched fist is like something that I'm not natural at I'm very like outcome driven you know I've learned uh I'm did the Enneagram. I'm like type three, you know, this oh, you're is a three. Like, okay. Oh I'm God, an eight. Yeah. So like, I have very strong three tendencies too. <laughs> my business partner's an eight and I love her for it. She keeps me in line. I'm for married sure. to a three. So I'm oh, really? To, yeah. <laughs> and I was talking to actually Jen Hatmaker's a three and mm-hmm. I was talking to her yesterday or Monday and she's like, oh my gosh, you're married to a three and you're an eight. And she's like, how's that working out? I'm like, it's great. We're both right all the time. <laughs> It's honestly, I mean, from, I don't know what it's like from a relationship perspective, but my eight, um, CMO for my company, she is like, I never have to worry about how she's feeling. Cause she'll tell me, I never have to worry. Like, um, if she's, uh, like overwhelmed or, you know, she just is like, she is what she is. And she did talk to me about how, um, and I'm curious if you feel the same way. And this is actually kind of an interesting topic of like, being an eight, um, as a woman, you know, there's more packed around, um, you know, the things that you say or the things that you do. Like she was like, if I was an eight as a man, I would be a called like a really good leader, like good at my job. And sometimes being an eight as a woman, it's like, you're abrasive or you're, you know, right. Do you ever feel like that? Yeah. And it's really interesting because, I was a lawyer for 13 years and I wasn't a healthy person at the time. Like I was drinking full time. I was 250 pounds. Like I just didn't have my act together. And so being an an unhealthy eight is really rough, right? Like you just, you're just like a curmudgeon. You're super angry. And um, so now that I'm like a much healthier human in general and a healthier eight, I can see had I had that sort of energy in the legal profession, like how it would have been different. Um, and I could have been, I would have been more abrasive, (laughs) I guess, as a healthy eight, but no, I totally get that. There's a lot of, I think, masculine energy to an eight female. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I had a dad who really deep down wanted a son. So he raised me to be a little boy and, um, I grew up as a weightlifter. And so there is a lot of that energy that I think you know, I've outgrown the legal profession. I don't do it anymore. And so I'm in my own bubble. And so I kind of do what I want, but in the real world, for sure. Like I, in an audit or in the courtroom, like I would see it. Yeah. Well, you're you're bitchy, you're, you're abrasive, you're, you know, you can just see their skin crawl or roll their eyes. And yeah. I, one of my pet peeves, um, and I'm trying, I'm trying this thing where I'm trying not to complain for a week. So this is like, I'm going to say this in a way where I'm not, this is a safe bubble. You're you're fine. (laughs) One of my things that bugs me is whenever I do lean into maybe more masculine leadership tendencies of like being direct, this is what I need. And I need it by this date, or this wasn't right. This wasn't what we discussed or, you know, just like very all factual, no, no, fiction, no narratives around it, no feelings of when I do that, which feels pretty aligned for me. Um, but it's also, I've resisted it for so long just because of society that I, that it hasn't been what people associate me with. And so when I do that, it feels different than the just that people typically experience. And they're like, are you okay? Like, are you having a bad day? And I'm like, 
no, I'm just (laughs) trying to be the leader that like feels just natural to me, which is like, let's cut to the chase. Let's look at things as they are and not try to pack a narrative around what is or what isn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and like, if yeah. you've listened to Brene Brown, like she'll talk about this too, cause she's very, um, like driven and like direct with her team. And she's talked about, I think it was in her leader stare to lead book. She talks about how she had to kind of rewind with her team because she was very direct and driven and like harmful and plowing over people. But it's, it is true that like, if a dude was doing that, it'd be like, well, Jerry's like, wow. just over there doing yeah. his job, you know? Yeah. How great, um, how strong he is. Yeah. And I also like my, um, course, uh, my courses, uh, my drop workshop helps women get paid speaking engagements and book pop workshop helps women get paid book deals because I'm like, there needs to be more women in the thought leadership space that are seen and valued as, as experts. But, um, one of the things that I realized with speaking and, um, is that a lot of women, um, can get paid to speak. They're just not asking for it because they Mm -hmm. think that it, it comes across as like self-serving or, um, what if I ask for too much and they say no, and it was the biggest wake up call. Um, about three years ago, I was speaking at an event And it was me and one other speaker that were both headlining. And, um, he was like, I was the morning and he was the lunch or something. And, um, after the event, everyone filled out, um, rating cards and, and reviews. And, um, I got a higher, you know, rating than him. And I found out from someone who worked at the event, who I won't say who the event was or who she was, but I'm so (laughs) grateful for it. She pulled me aside and was like, Jess, you got a higher rating than this guy. We paid you 10,000 to do this event and we paid him 50. Oh, oh, 50. Yeah. And the thing is, is that it's not his fault. It's just what he asked for. You know, it's like, it's, it's not, he, he wasn't out of line, you know, for asking something. It was me thinking that like, oh, well, if I ask for for 20, then I'll, I'll come across as like, who does she think she is? You know, and it was this own narrative that I had in my head, um, that I'm trying to teach women not to do that. I sometimes (laughs) do myself. Right. Right. No. Yeah. I get that totally. And also I think just to circle back on like the energy, I think what makes women such powerful speakers and writers is the fact that we have the ability to access our heart and access that emotion And so So while we do want to be like ballsy and have this energy, like our superpower is mostly being female, right? When Mm -hmm. you really boil it down is the ability to access your audience's heart and their emotions and to level experience wise with, with where they've been. But I feel you on the speaker front. I was yeah. just like ramping up my speaking right when COVID Pre-pandemic. hit. And, oh my yeah, gosh, yeah. Like I literally, know. like I, I was literally, it was. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's coming, it's coming back. I think that there's going to be needs for connection now more than ever. So right. I'm, I'm thinking even late this year, 2021, but definitely 2022. Yeah. It's like starting to dust off my speaker reel. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. I don't look like that anymore. It was two years ago. I know. Um, know Sometimes I'm like, I should probably update that headshot. But um, I I think that it's funny that you say that, that the power that women have is also to be able to access the heart. Um, And I totally agree. I sometimes have a tough time 
knowing when to do which. Yeah. You know? Um, I want to be like, for example, today I posted something about how, um, a lot of these like pick your brain requests that, you know, people get, we should probably say no to and put value on our time. And, um, if I said yes to every pick your brain request about getting speaking engagements and book deals, um, I wouldn't have any time to focus on the, on the things that I want to create. Um, and then there's people that kind of responded that were like, but what about just giving back and doing good and, um, you know, all that. And <laughs> You're like, like 1 million headbands yeah. to kids with cancer. Let yeah. me, thank you. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> but it's the same thing where it's like, oh, should I, um, should I put value on my time and kind of be more direct of like, Hey, if you're, you know, if you need help, here's my products or my services, or is it like, I wish someone would have helped me at this, you know? And so it's no, so a, let me, I got to drag out my soapbox from under my desk. I'll be right back. Cause let me tell you how, I, where I fall in this picture brain. Oh my God. First of all, if anyone ever messages me and asks to pick my brain, the answer is no. That language automatically disqualifies you because it is a, it is like intrusive. It's mm-hmm. rude. It doesn't give me like, why would I do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so I hate that as a starting point, but it's really interesting. You bring up the people that comment like, well, shouldn't you give back? Mm-hmm. And I want anyone who's listening that has ever said that or thought that about someone in like the social media space or someone's running their own business or like Jess's or like I am there, you have no idea what we give for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you have no idea this podcast, everyone who's listening makes me $0 and costs me about $5,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Just anyone that wants to know. Now that's my own fault. Cause I don't really do a great job trying to get ads. Um, but just that alone, you know, for someone right. to come, come back to you and be like, well, you don't, you know, shouldn't you get back, um, 300 episodes, right? <laughs> Like, yeah, just given. Um, so there's that, but there you're absolutely right. Until we step up and value our own time and decide when we want to give, like, yeah, I'll give for free, but not when you ask me to pick my brain. Um, I decide when I give for free and my time is valuable. And if you're asking me a question that is, you know, very much the specialty that how I earn my living, you should pay for that. Yeah. <laughs> Like you should pay for that. So I'm going to put my soapbox back down. No, that is so spot on. <laughs> and it, a lot of people don't think about the content that they're creating as free resources because they just think it's a given for someone to, who's in this lane or in our industry to be putting out podcasts or, or social media posts and tips, but it is time and it is effort. And it is like, you know, it, it is a free resource. Um, and so to say that, like, in addition, we also have to write, you know, a novel and DMs back or set aside 30 minutes to hear about someone's business idea. Like that shouldn't be an expectation that's on our shoulders in addition to the content that, that we're creating. And so, especially for women, you know, I'm telling them this and also myself, it's like, just don't feel bad about putting a price tag on the time, the value and the knowledge that it has taken, you know, someone asked me the other day, they were like, Oh, can you send me a list of literary agents that like you pitched to? And I'm like, no, like, no, you're blocked. And my head just exploded. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's, um, I felt weird because I was like, it could take me five seconds to just grab this list and send it, but it took me about six months to build this list. 
And so don't think about like the time it would take for you to do something. Think about the time it took for you to be able to do it. Like, well, and the way I look at it too, um, cause I have an interesting book deal with Hachette. I have an interesting, I came about Ooh. it in an interesting way. I'm excited. Um, that they've got my two books. So, but the way I came about it was very interesting and it wasn't through an agent. And so I get people all the time cause I have like a direct line and they're like, well, can you connect me to your editor? And I'm like, no, yeah. my editor doesn't want to talk to you. That like, all the time. you know, but if I have someone who I think's like a good pitch and they've got yeah. a complete proposal, I will email my editor and say, do you care to hear from this person? You know? And so mm-hmm. like my response to your, can I have your agents list would be, um, I will contact these agents and see if they want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Send me your proposal and I will pass it along. That's Seriously. another one. And then like, you know, you, maybe you get the proposal. And you're like, oh, they might actually like this. Cause that's happened a few times. And, right. um, you know, it's not that you're like hoarding your knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's just people. And I've seen this a lot in the um, anti-racism space and mm-hmm. the BIPOC women are saying like, quit putting your hand out and asking us to teach you about the oppression that has happened in, for centuries. Like do your work. Right. And, and not that this is the same sphere, but it's, it's the same yeah. in concept. Like, don't look for the fast pass. Like, you know, stop asking me for the stuff that I did. And instead, let me help you with you know, what I'm offering, I'm offering you stuff. (laughs) Take that. Exactly. And the other part that I think people should, that I love when I get these kind of requests, um, is when they first acknowledge that they're asking for you and your time, like, not Mm -hmm. like, I think when people feel, when they approach you as if you're on demand, it pisses me off. (laughs) Like, I'm just like, you think I sit here and wait for, for, I'm just like a constant office hours. Like I'm not, but if someone messages me and is like, would you be willing to help me with this? And here's what I feel like I could do for you in return. If you would like it, like someone messaged me, they're like, I make, I have a graphic design company. Like, could I make you, could I turn some of your quotes into social media graphics? If you could help me with this. I'm like, Absolutely. I would, I would love that. And oftentimes I don't even need to take what they're asking, but just the fact that they view it as an exchange and not a one-way street is enough. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yes, exactly. And anyone that's listening is like, boy, these two women are just complaining about their place. Like it's not that people we're just trying to explain. And it, you know, I think it comes to because you've probably had a lot of experience of needing someone bigger to help you and Mm -hmm. you know how to ask. Like I didn't get like Tony Hawk and Dr. Shafali Sabari on this podcast by being like, Hey, come be on my podcast and make me look good. No, like they had, you know, moments that they needed more publicity or they, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a scratch my back. You scratch, you know, let's all scratch backs and people that don't want to scratch my back, like get out of my room. (laughs) Scratch my back. Um, It's so true. It doesn't doesn't make you like greedy it doesn't make you selfish like human makes you human oh my gosh some people like have reached out to me that you know they want to purchase something that I'm doing and they don't have the funds right now they're like do you need an intern do you need like copywriting like here's what I have have to offer if this is a good fit for you and I just I love it I love it when people see your value and want to provide something even if it's not money um 
it just, it makes the whole exchange feel so much more balanced. Well, and I think it's also a concept of boundaries too, because you're probably setting your own boundaries on your social media. Like here's my email, here's my button, here's my website, here's my contact form. Here's how you can contact me. Here's how, and you're like, you put it all out there. Right. And then Mm -hmm. people DM you and ask you directly, or like, Mm -hmm. I'll post a story and say, ask me questions. And so like people will post the questions in the story. I'll answer it for everyone, but then I'll get the ones who drop in the DM and they're like, well, I want you to tell me personally about, you know, but I think the advice is respect the person's boundary Mm-hmm. you're asking for something from if they can't if you can't find their email address they don't want to be emailed right <laughs> that is like so spot on their dms like i mean just look for the way that people want to be approached they're telling you like i have yeah. a contact form on my website like and i look, look for, look you for what's that. valuable to them too yeah. like you know, I'm sure you use this with your podcast, but like, even when, you know, chasing the bright side was coming out and I wanted some people that I admired to endorse the book. I looked at like, what was there in their pipeline? Did they have a book coming out? Was there a course that they were trying to promote? Was there something that I could say, Hey, I would love if you'd lend your name to my book. And then I would love to promote your course to my, you know, list of this amount of people or on my business on the bright side podcast or whatever it might be. Um, and that worked, you know, I would say like seven out of the 10 people I asked were like, yeah, let's do it. Right. In the way that it's worked for me. So Jess, I'll have a book coming out in a year and a half. So expect a request for a board. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, just don't DM me. I'm just joking. (laughs) I won't DM you, but it's so funny. Cause like I had a bunch of, um, people I interviewed and one big name who's now dead to me, I won't say, um, but (laughs) interviewed her, promoted the hell out of it. Like did a great job, super professional. I think I put makeup on, um, And it was, and I reached out to her and I said, Hey, we had like, you know, 25,000 downloads of your podcast. Who knows how many books that sold, but I, you know, I hope you were happy with it. Um, I, here's my new book. I don't expect you to read it. Um, I just, and I know you probably can't give a quote for the book, but if you could give a blurb for me as a podcaster, that would be awesome. And she wrote me back. She's like, I don't have time. Mm. (laughs) And I was like, I don't have time. Meredith is a great podcaster. Yeah. That's <laughs> like literally same give me five points. words and I got you 20, you know, stuff like yeah. that. Like she's dead to me, by the way. Yeah. I already said that once, but you know, it, it is the scratch your back thing. It's like, what can I do for you? Like I did something great for her, not with an idea of, of actually, this was, you know, a year and a half prior. It wasn't even like, this is coming down the pipe. I better do this. Um, but I think if we approach everyone and everything is like, how can I help you? And how can you help me? Like, right. That's it. It makes the world otherwise a is better crap. place. Yeah. It, it, I think just in life, it's like, how can we help each other out a little bit and not see this as a one-way street as if everyone owes you something because they yeah. don't, you know? Um, and, and I had the easy, wrong mindset right? about that. Yeah. I had the wrong mindset about that for a while when I was on my way up, like thinking that, since I started Headbands of Hope as a student, I was in the student mindset of like, oh, literally everyone on this world exists to help me in my success. Like that is like what, you know, the 19 year old mentality. Um, So I would get frustrated when people wouldn't lend me their time or their contacts or whatever. And it wasn't until I then became that person that I realized I'm like, okay, this is, this is how it, how it works. And sometimes you have to go through that season to realize that, um, the exchange of value and like how important that is in just networking and contacts and the success of your business too. Right. Right. 
Oh my gosh. We could talk about all sorts oh of stuff. Oh my gosh. I love that we hit a button. I did not know that I had this button <laughs> yeah. and I've never really talked about it before. So, um, to anyone listening, this is a little bit of my sassier side. Um, but <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you brought it out of me. Well, here's the thing, Jess, people tune in for sass. Like yeah. anyone that, that actually follows my podcast is totally used to sass and okay. soapbox. Sass and sassy. soapbox. We should start a Ooh, podcast. That's called the next podcast sold. Um, but Coming I think soon. it is, I mean, it sort of sounds like we were kind of complaining, but I mean, I think it is a fundamental lesson that if you're not doing this and this isn't the mindset, yeah. like how can I give and how can I, you know, get what I need and, and not be guilty about either. Mm-hmm. Like that's the secret sure. sauce. It's like, well, how can I, and maybe you? there's somewhere, someone listening, wondering why has some of this outreach not worked? Why has, have I not been able to you know, convert people over here. And this would be a good, I think, just kind of audit of like, what are you asking people to do? And like, what are you doing for them? Um, and just kind of zooming out and looking at it as like a total third party is, is just helpful. Like, cause sometimes I'll put something out there and I'm like, wait, why is no one doing this or jumping at this opportunity? And I zoom out and realize that it is tilted, you know? So I think it's just a good thing. If you're like wondering why you're hearing crickets or not getting something back, just audit yeah. the exchange. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, Jess, tell everyone where they can find your book, where they can learn more about you, get a headband or three or 12. Which yes. One do, which one should I get? You oh, you, me. we actually Heart just cool. got these like athletic ones, kind of like the, similar to the one yeah. that you're wearing that has like an adjustable strap on yeah. the back. Um, okay. So those ones would be good. My personal favorite are, um, we have these like velvet turbans that I love. So I wear those. And then the one that's around my neck right now is our tube turban that are our number one seller all the time. But so you can go to headbandspope.com, check it out. Um, you can find me on Instagram at just underscore Ekstrom. And then I would love if anyone wanted to sign up and try Bright Pages. Um, it's free to sign up and you can go to brightpages.com and get um, journaling prompts. So it's um, super fun and we're still building it. So you'll kind of be along grandfathered in and in it for the long haul. Did you hear that? It's free. See, this is a free resource that Jess is offering. So go mm-hmm. take that one. Yep. Go for it. It's a free, it's a free trial. I'll say that, but if okay. you, there's other features that, um, that are paid, but, uh, yeah. it's free to start. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jess. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the same 24 hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.